Our scripture reading this morning comes from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 17. I invite you to open your Bibles with me there, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 17. This book of Revelation, I believe, is a book that was written to inspire hope. Its original audience was a group of churches that experienced persecution and difficult times. Churches that were experiencing oppression from the Roman Empire. John, who's writing this, who's writing down this vision that God is giving him, this revelation of Jesus Christ that's been offered to him. I mean, he's out by himself on an island. He's been exiled there because of the persecution that comes from the Roman Empire Domitian. And so the people who he's writing to are people who have faced many difficulties and challenges, the struggles and the trials of this life, and they need a word from Jesus. And while this uh, book is one that was written to churches over 1,900 years ago, it's, it's still a word of hope for us today. Uh, you know, it's not written so much so that we can try to decipher all of the different images and metaphors and, and try to figure out, you know, is the war in Israel, does that mean that the end of the world is coming? Uh, I don't know that that's the purpose behind the book, but it's written for us so that as followers of Jesus, we can have a hope to endure whatever it is that we might face within this life. It's a word of hope for Christians over the past 2,000 years that offers an assurance of what is to come, uh, that there is uh, a hope that there is a promise that there are better days uh, that are for us. And so we read here in Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshipped God, singing, Amen. Blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, robed in white? Where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. And then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And for this reason they are before the throne of God, and they worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's the word of God for us, the people of God. So John is writing this, having been exiled to the island of Patmos. And while this whole book of Revelation is a book that can inspire hope, 
I, I believe this chapter here is, is a highlight for it. As John is looking into heaven, he sees a great multitude of every tribe, of every nation and every tongue, a beautiful vision for what the kingdom of heaven is like. And for John, uh, as well as for us who are here, there's a great hope within this. And John is by himself. He's alone. Uh, he's been exiled from his work in Ephesus, as he's been going about helping to plant and start churches, as he's pastored, as he's shepherded people throughout that whole region, uh, he's now by himself. And so as God opens up heaven to him, as he looks and he sees this vision of a great multitude, it offers some encouragement for him that, one, he's not alone. Even in the midst of his loneliness, as he's exiled on the island, he is not alone. It gives him a sense of encouragement that his labor has not been in vain. That as he's gone about doing the work of Christ, that it's not just him by himself. That there is a faithful group that is there in heaven because of the work that he has done, because of the seeds that he has sown, because of his life that has been lived in honor of Christ in and through the power of the Spirit. Uh, that there is a great multitude that is there. He knows uh, that there will be a greater victory one day and a great multitude that surrounds him. He knows that he is not alone. It's a word of encouragement for us as well. Uh, whatever challenge we're facing, whatever difficulty we might find ourselves in, we can know that we are not alone. There is a great multitude that has gone before us, a multitude that gathers behind us, that surrounds us, a great cloud of witnesses that is for us to encourage us in the faith. We are not alone. And this vision that John has is a vision that gives him and it gives the church throughout centuries hope because not only does it remind us that we are not alone, but it reminds us that God's promises are true. As we see this great multitude, we kind of hearken back to the promise that God made to Abraham. Back in the very beginning in the book of Genesis, God called Abraham and he told him, I am going to make of you a great nation. Your descendants are going to outnumber the stars. There's always this concern of how that's going to unfold, of how that's going to happen. But we see over time, God's people begin to multiply. The, the great multitude begins to grow as God's word is honored and as it begins to bear fruit. We're reminded that God's word never returns void. As we see the great multitude, we're reminded that God's promises are coming true. And we can take hope knowing that his promises are just as true for us today as they were back then. Amen? So as this vision that John has continues, here in verse 13, it, we see an elder coming and he asks John, who are those people who are gathered around the throne? Who are those who are robed in white? Where did they come from? John says, well, sir, you know, you know who they are. And then the elder says, these are those who have come out of the great ordeal. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. This is again a reminder that the people who are first receiving this letter are people who have faced a great ordeal, a great struggle and a time of persecution. The ones gathered around the throne have come out of, gone through a great tribulation. Again, this word is one that could just as easily have been written, not only to those early Christians, but it is God's word for us today and throughout the ages 
There are many Christians around the world who face severe persecution even to this day. A great tribulation. Christians throughout time have faced various struggles and challenges and tribulations. As we hear the word tribulation, uh, as it's translated in other versions, it can mean persecution, yes, but it can also refer to afflictions or times of distress. So this word about a people who have made it through a great ordeal could just as easily have been written to any of us. Because while there are certainly people who suffer at a greater level than others, it's also true that nobody makes it through this life without a trial. Nobody makes it through life without a challenge, without a difficulty of some kind. And so as John's vision of heaven includes those who've made it through the great ordeal, it reminds us of these words from Romans chapter 5, that, that our suffering, our, our present suffering, our, our challenges, the difficulties that we face, our suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. It, it shows us that this promise that we read in Scripture is true. This heavenly vision of those who've made it through the great ordeal gives a picture to the words that we read in Romans 8, verse 18, where it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We find that even in struggle, even in trials, even in suffering, there is a hope that awaits. And I love the beauty of the last few verses in this passage as it tells us about those who are gathered around the throne it says that they will hunger no more they will thirst no more for the lamb will be their shepherd and guide them it's almost like if you were to read the 23rd psalm and you know the lord is my shepherd i shall not want Right, the Lord is my shepherd, I have all that I need. It's this promise, this vision that we see coming to fruition as the Lamb becomes the shepherd and leads us into places where we find streams of living water. And it tells us that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I think John's kind of waxing poetic here, but, but I love the tenderness of this image of God wiping away every tear from our eyes. I mean, my kids will tell you that um, most of the time whenever they cry, I'm probably not that tender-hearted parent. <laughs> I'm the one who's telling them to get over it, right? <laughs> Suck it up, brush it off, you're okay, like keep going. But on occasion, and you've probably been there, whether it's with your own children or just seeing the hurt and the pain of somebody else, a loved one within your life, and when you see the tears and you know that there's a real hurt that's there, whether it's a physical pain or an emotional distress, and you, you can just sense it and you see it within their very being, like they have a legitimate reason to cry. And you just pull somebody close and you squeeze them tight. Maybe you place a hand on their shoulder and the other and you just kind of gently brush away whatever tears might be streaming down their face. John is giving us this vision for the way that God comforts us. The way that God meets us in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our pain. Right? That he is the foremost example of that, that loving father who invites us in, who wraps his arms of care around us. 
who wipes away every tear from our eyes. When you're struggling so much, you can't make sense of it. And when the anxiety and the stress are so much that all you can do is cry, when, when grief floods your soul and you feel like you can't even see straight, when bad news on top of bad news makes you just want to hide or, or scream, God is there with us, wiping away every tear. And the way that God meets us and comforts us in this life is a foreshadowing of that great comfort and joy that we get to experience one day as we gather around his throne. When we join with that great multitude that's been robed and white. But again, I hear the, the words of the elder. As he says, who are those who are robed in white? Where have they come from? These are those who've come out of the great ordeal. They've, been, they've washed their robes and they've made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so what that means for us is that if we want that assurance of hope, if we want that hope that our present sufferings pale in comparison with the glory that awaits, is that we must be made pure, must be washed in the blood of the Lamb. I, I hear that, that old church hymn. You know, are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? It's like enough to get a revival going. And I get, I get that it seems odd that one would need to wash their robe in the Lamb's blood to whiten them or, or to purify them. It's, it's as though John is speaking a foreign language to those of us who have 21st century modern ears. But this image of blood being shed is one that, that looks back to the old sacrificial system of the Old Testament before Jesus, where the blood of animal sacrifices provided the spiritual cleansing required to cover over a person's sins. Then in the New Testament, these animal sacrifices are done away with because Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, becomes that once and for all sacrifice to atone for our sins. It is the blood of Jesus that is shed on the cross, that washes away our sins, that makes us pure, that sets us free from guilt and condemnation. It is that blood of Christ that is shed for us on the cross, that offers this hope, this promise of life eternal. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And as we place our trust in him, as we, as we ask him to forgive us of our sins, as we seek to live in relationship with God, Jesus begins to wash us. He begins to make us new. He begins to transform us, to cleanse us, so that we can stand amongst that great multitude, so that we can sing his praises forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And so we have hope because of what Jesus has done for us. We can live as a people with hope in the face of whatever challenge, whatever trial, whatever struggle might come our way, whatever tribulation, whatever persecution, whatever great ordeal may come. We can live as a people who have hope because of what Jesus has done for us. We know that victory belongs to our God. We know that through faith and what Jesus has done for us, that we know how the story ends, and that it ends with joy, 
It ends with celebration as we are gathered around his throne. Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, we give you thanks for that great promise of joy that we have. I pray that we might take hold of that promise, that we might live as a people who have hope, that we might live as a people who are filled with your joy, and that we might run with endurance the race that is set before us, so that we might take hold of that crown that you've offered to us, that we might join that great multitude whose robes have been made white through the blood of Jesus. I pray that we might live as a people who let their light shine so that others might see and know and come and give glory and honor to you, that there would be additions to that great multitude because of the ways that our lives are lived as a hope-filled people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.